welcome to the Gutted Podcast, conversations about life with tummy troubles, with me, Lydia Jean Meredith, and lots of lovely guests with some sort of condition that affects the digestive system. And there are a lot of them. So in this episode, we hear from Dan Hodgett, a technician at Nottingham Trent University, who's going to tell us about his conditions, colitis and diverticulitis. Dan, hi, welcome to the Gutted Podcast. How hello, are you? hello. I'm very well. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Good. So let's get straight into it then. What is colitis and diverticulitis and do they usually come as a pair? Not as far as I know. Diverticulitis, I mean, I was quite young. Let's pretend I still am young. Um, I was quite too too young to have, have diverticulitis in the opinion of the experts that kind of examined me when I first went into hospital. It was this was going back to 2007. The story goes I was mowing the lawn, and then the next morning, I thought I'd pulled a muscle or something. I was in agony, um, kind of just below my belly button. I was I thought I've probably just pulled a muscle or something. I ended up going to the doctors, and they straight away uh shipped me off to the hospital. Um, and and the, the consultant almost immediately actually said, I think it's diverticulitis, but normally you don't get that until you're kind of in your 50s. I think most it's quite common. I think a lot of people end up with diverticular of some sort. Um, so basically, it's just like little pockets in the lining of the of the bowel that just get, you know, inflamed sometimes. But generally, they don't cause a lot of problems. Um, but in that instance, I actually ended up with a, a little perforation in my bowel, which could have obviously been quite serious. Um, they didn't luckily have to operate on me. And I was in, I was, in, it was still in there for a week on the drip and antibiotics and all the rest of it. But in the end, it was okay, kind of. Went for various kind of ultrasounds and whatever during that week. I mean, we're going back a while, so I can't really remember exactly what happened. And I was on quite heavy painkillers. So it's all a bit, it felt like a dream anyway. Um, but uh, but then not long after that, obviously I was an outpatient for a little while and, and it was suggested that I go on a diet, you know, specific diet for kind of assessing whether you are allergic to different things. And that didn't really bring anything back, actually. For, for a while, it kind of, you know, every six months or so, I'd end up in bed for a few days in agony and, and no one ever really knew what to tell me to do because... Obviously, it's such a complicated business diagnosing what is going on in there. Mm. there, could, there could, it could be one of you know dozens of things, and I went through quite a few different GPs, and then not really knowing where to send me, or kind of being quite dismissive. Some of them, uh, you know, just drink a Yakult, take paracetamol, and kind of just like basically just didn't really want to deal with me. A few years later, I ended up moving to London to work in London, um, and I had quite a few kind of like quite bad episodes of flare-ups and stuff down there and I went to my GP and I actually got a really good GP in East London who, who said you know she was asking me what the history was and looked at my medical records and and said I think it's probably about time we really did get to get to the bottom of this so I went for a number of tests and then saw a dietitian at um, Guy's and St Thomas's hospital um, who then put me on the low FODMAP diet which was excluding not only gluten, but all sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, very restrictive diet and then bringing foods back in steadily and seeing what affects you over the period of weeks, you know, 
months really um, and actually I was one of the first in the country to try the uh, the low FODMAP diet through King's College London uh, through Guy's and St Thomas's really? uh, I, was part, I was part of a trial down there and and uh, they asked me if I'd take part and you know would I be happy to be um, for my data to be used in this trial I never actually saw the document I'm sure I'm sure there's a document somewhere in some library where I'm you know my, my case is should <laughs> probably try and f- dig that out somewhere but a FODMAP something to do with the carbohydrates yeah I think that's the easiest way of saying it I've, I've got actually got it written down in front of me I'm going to try and pronounce it it, it stands for fermentable oligosaturides desaturides monosaturides and polyols I think you pronounced them really well <laughs> I don't know whether I did I, I probably pronounced them all wrong um but yeah, I mean, essentially, it is kind of uh, fermentable carbohydrate. So, but but which is found in all sorts of stuff. I mean, things you wouldn't think of. I've got the little booklet here in front of me that they gave me when I went on that diet, and there's all these kinds of little diagrams. And and and, but obviously, you exclude wheat of pretty much all kinds. So, or bread, you know, grains, muffins, brioche, all the stuff they listed all flour, pasta, noodles, all the things you would expect. But but then they, because you're um, missing out your uh, your gluten, they want you to up your veg and fruit and veg, obviously. Um, but there are lots of things that you're not allowed to have fruit and veg wise as well. So apples, blackberries, peaches, pears, watermelons. I mean, it's just you're almost better off looking at the list of things you are allowed to have because almost everything else you're not. Baked beans, you know, or cauliflower, garlic, an onion, obviously, which is yeah. in everything. Uh, so there's so many things, and and so. Uh, yeah, it kind of that that was a, a a big struggle, and I was on that diet on and off, certainly gluten free, and kind of dipping in and out of the FODMAP diet for many years until about 2018, um, when I was by, by which time I was back up in Nottingham and went back to see a specialist at the city hospital in Nottingham and saw a really good dietitian there who said, "Well, let's you know reassess that and get you back onto." Uh, um, you know, reintroducing certain foods and see how you get on. Uh, the other important thing I should probably mention that was on the timeline of events is uh, when I was in 2013, when I was under St. Uh, in St. Thomas's, I also had a uh, laparoscopy. So just to sort of go in with the little camera and have a look around, see what's going on. And they did see, uh, obviously, diverticular, which they knew about, but also that I had got some adhesions. So I suppose around the sort of my stomach and bowel, everything was kind of fused together where I'd had like flare ups or or possibly perforations that are then healed and stuff. So they did their best to detach most of that while they're in there. And then also uh, took my appendix out because it was right next door. So they, they thought, well, we'll take it out. And so it's never a problem in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so luckily, you know, I was okay with that. And obviously you know, I'd never really had an operation of any kind and certainly never been under general anesthetic. So obviously terrifying at the time in hindsight, fine, but I was very sore and, you know, very bloated and sore from what they'd done for a few weeks afterwards. So it's hard to know whether what they'd done had, made any difference but it, it did it did and so a mixture of that and the diet then the FODMAP diet it was hard to know which had helped but for years I was fine and then uh, yeah when I moved back to Nottingham I got a few kind of flare-ups that that kind of worried me a bit and obviously having been through what I'd been through in the in the past um, you know you can go to the GP that generally they give you either painkillers or um, antibiotics or a combination of the two not really knowing what to give you because they don't really know what it is. 
they went to this uh, this dietitian at the city and they kind of reintroduced some foods and so from there I actually ended up reintroducing wheat funnily enough so they they, okay. they kind of say well have a slice of toast if you're okay the following day have two slices of toast and kind of you know build it up and I was, I was obviously it was scary because I was thinking well I've not had really any wheat not knowingly anyway any wheat for years um and it was actually okay from 2018-ish to now I've just been eating carefully and kind of steadily not that restrictive really I'm not I've not been cutting too much out um I mean the other the other uh, issue for me is that I'm vegetarian so a lot of the stuff in the FODMAP diet kind of assumes that you do eat meat and that you're getting kind of you know your your protein and your all that kind of I mean if you were doing it properly you would cut out dairy which I mean I was terrified of that because mm. there's no way I'm giving up cheese and chocolate that's just not going to happen <laughs> um so uh but it, it, things. yeah exactly I was like please don't tell me that I can't eat those but luckily they were like there is a version of this you can do that they didn't think that that would be an issue for me um, but they kind of ruled those out fairly early on um and said that it was kind of a mixture of um colitis and diverticular um disease or uncomplicated sigmoid diverticulosis as they called it so uh, it's diverticulosis so up, up until the point where it flares up and then it's diverticulitis so yeah your gut has been through quite a lot over the <laughs> <It> years <has. laughs> it has but it's, yeah. it's a positive that it's sort of rehealed itself essentially it's managed to reheal and you are able to be a lot more um adventurous with your food again yeah exactly and, and I, I never really had any issues with some of the things that most people would have a problem with or trigger foods as in spicy food uh, I mean, I really like Indian food and, mm. and not that I like it crazy hot or anything, but I do like, and obviously that includes garlic, onion, spices, you know, all the stuff that probably you shouldn't be having, but I've never had an issue with any of that. And so I kind of knew that when I was on the FODMAP diet, I was like, well, I know that those things I could probably reintroduce and be all right, because I'd never had any issues previously with it. Um, the wheat did seem to help when I was down in London and I took that out of the diet, it seemed to make a difference. but the other element is obviously it's hard to know how much of it is kind of psychological in a way yeah. because um i mean i've always had and i you know and i kind of inherited this a little bit from from my dad specifically but a bit of ibs and kind of being triggered by nerves and uh, or any kind of situation two or three days later then you you know your guts are kind of churning up a bit and so it's always it was always hard for me to put my finger on exactly what triggered it whether it was you know just life or whether it was food and I think as with most people I think it probably is a mixture of the two but the food thing seems to have like you say leveled out a little bit now and I, uh, I don't have to worry too much about what I'm eating and and when and carrying cereal bars around with me all the time just in case I can't find any food if I'm out you know abroad or whatever try that's the that was the hardest thing is like if you go on holiday yeah. On, that, on that kind of diet where you know, what do you eat um where's where's that food going to come from I'm exactly the same whenever I go out or well not as much now um mm. before I just just love my breakfast biscuits because you think at least yeah. if I've got your breakfast biscuit or your cereal bar at least you're going you're going to have something to keep yeah. going for a bit 
exactly. And and l- luckily, I mean, just from the time that I was first put onto those kind of restriction diets in so but like I say 2007 so whatever it is 14 years ago there was hardly anything it was like a little half an aisle at a supermarket that would be gluten-free mm-hmm. kind of bits bread that wasn't great you know I think people were still kind of experimenting a bit with recipes to get decent stuff out there and now you go you know to my local supermarket you go down there and it's like a, a, a half an aisle if not a full aisle of dietary requirements specific food you know not specifically gluten but you know vegan all sorts um so you're just going to find a lot more kind of free from options now i think it would have been easier for me to have done it now than i did then because there, there's more out there and there are more recipes online there are recipe books you can buy and stuff i mean there are specific FOD, fodmap recipe books you can buy um so i think it would be hopefully be a bit easier for people now than it was for me i had to kind of experiment a bit with Make, in a way, make, you know, a positive that you're making things from scratch, you're making your own pasta sauces, not including onion and garlic and stuff, but making, getting flavour into there in some other way. Um, so it makes you think about what you're eating. Uh, but obviously it does take the time. You have to have the time to prep that stuff. Yes, definitely. You do have to be prepared. Um, so how does, the, how does the colitis affect you then? How is that different to the diverticulitis? Does it still affect is it your small intestine or your large intestine? Um I think it's probably the large intestine okay. because because of the, where my diverticular were, I'm assuming that the colitis would be in the same area. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, no one's, I've never seen a scan. And even if I did, I'm not sure what I'd be looking at. Um, I just have to go on the information that, that, uh, that they gave me when I, um, when I had all these various different scans and they just said, um, you know, there's no evidence of celiac, which is great. Uh, and they're working on the, the diagnosis that I've got severe sigmoid uh, diverticular disease, but also possibly um, colitis. So I think the, the, the two for me anyway came hand in hand. So if I have a flare up of any kind, and like I say, luckily, touch wood, haven't had one for a little while, um, I manage it with kind of buscopan, so antispasmodics really, um, and, and paracetamol, it seems to uh, ease off. What affects me? as well as the pain, if I do get a flare up is, um, I get so tired. I get so much fatigue. I just basically can't do anything. I end up just going to bed. I can't really function or do anything else. Um, I suppose because your body is fighting either an infection, if it, if it's gone that bad or just, uh, inflammation generally and how it's, um, uh, and how it kind of fights, fights against that and, and kind of tries to heal itself. Yeah. Um, that's definitely, um, a side effect of celiac and um some other um Crohn's as well um mm. yeah you get fatigued from that and I just find it so bizarre how we eat food to give us energy and to live except some foods just don't agree with us and then they end up making you more sleepy and completely messing up um your gut yeah exactly that it's 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 um I mean I I try to avoid stuff that's really bad for me nowadays processed foods and stuff but obviously you know they're the ones that everybody wants so i do i just want chocolate and crisps and all the bad stuff because comfort food especially (laughs) especially going through a global pandemic i just thought it all just went to hell and i just thought i'm just gonna eat whatever i want because you know who knows what's gonna happen um so you know supporting the local takeaways and stuff but uh uh, no real problem with that now like i say it would have been that i'd I'd have to avoid those those kinds of things pizza 
curries etc whatever kind of especially getting things from places where you're not entirely sure what the ingredients are going to be because it's not listed on a takeaway menu um and like i say going abroad going on you know going to trips abroad and then trying to find doing your research online before you go anywhere to see what places you may be able to eat one of the best best places that i went that i that i found that was that catered really well for all that kind of stuff was uh, budapest okay. they had lots of lots of kind of um uh, gluten-free vegan you know options mm. vegetarian vegetarian like the place we stayed like an airbnb and right down at the end of the road there's a cafe that did all of that stuff and i was like well this is uh this felt really, i just felt really comfortable that i was going going to find food around the place i didn't have to worry too much about it and um to somewhere i'd definitely like to go back to even though now you know, I'm not restricting myself as much. Yeah, because uh, you, want, you want to relax on holiday as well, don't yeah. you? You don't want to have to be worrying about where you're going to eat because you want to go abroad to experience their cuisine as well. Um, you do have dietary issues or an autoimmune disease, then you're going to have to do the research, like you say. I find, yeah. I've always found that Greece was good. Um, and I know, where did I go? I think I went to Turkey once with my friends and I asked the chef if there was gluten in the chips and he just looked at me and said, <laughs> the potato. And I think over there, it must have, they must do it fresh and do it separately. Whereas yeah. over here, they just... Those processed foods and well they'll just coat it in batter yeah uh, generally that's how they get the crisp over here so and 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 i think the awareness in in restaurant well it's had to be that people have had to be more aware because of the dangers of it as well as everything else but i think if you ask for an option now at a restaurant i think they are a bit more amenable and a bit more kind of clued up on what it means and either have um options available immediately uh, or are a bit more up for the challenge of creating something specifically for you. Uh, I've found anyway. Well, how have you, how have you managed um, your lifestyle at going out, um, going out to the pub or eating out and socialising? Have you found it hard with your condition or have you had positive experiences when you've been out? Um, I, I've, I've always thought, I always had it when it was, on a restrictive diet, I always had it in the back of my mind that, that perhaps I was not going to get a, a meal, a proper meal out of wherever I was going, unless I had done some research up front. I mean, luckily, we're, we're all struggling with this in a, in a time when you can actually look stuff up on the Internet. You know, if having having these diseases, you know, 50 years ago or something, I don't know. I don't know how you would uh, how people would have operated. I know that people would have been prescribed food back then. Uh, by the doctor I mean god knows what it would have been like um, but I, I always found that people were really good the restaurants and places that I went to there was always something even if it was like you say just like a plate of chips or something but then even then you had to be quite careful about what they how they coated in something but then I, I just found that people waiting staff would be quite not concerned on your behalf but they would be like oh just to let you know the chips are cooked in you know, whatever with other stuff. And, I, and I'd be like, that's okay. That's okay. Cause I'm not allergic to it. I'm just avoiding gluten, yeah. um, which is a difference. You know, if obviously if things, some people are so sensitive that if it's cooked in the same kitchen, they would have an issue. Whereas I didn't have that, that danger. So sometimes I would say, well, I'll have this, this, and this and some chips. And then they, and then they'd say, well, well the chips are coated in this stuff. And I'd be like, I'll probably be all right. 
because I, I always just saw it as I was cutting back on all of this stuff rather than eliminating it entirely. So it was, I was a bit, you know, a bit luckier, I suppose, in that respect. So how does it affect you day to day now? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's, it's a bit of an unusual case, I suppose, me really. Uh, and they have told me that at the hospital and it kind of not that I'm like cured, but but that I can't really see a pattern with what I'm eating and then if I do end up in in pain or have any kind of flare-up like I say I've probably had two or three flare-ups in the last you know two or three years perhaps once a year you know but there was literally nothing to I, I I'd look back at what I'd done the previous few days and I could never really see anything that's potentially triggered it so it, it just happens and there's no real you know reason so it's hard to know what it is that I if I'm any kind of lifestyle changes that I've made I, I do try to be quite careful just because of the when it, when I first had it it was because I was doing uh, kind of phys- physical exercise I was doing stuff in the garden and that's what I thought I'd done to myself obviously it was something else and that kind of just either triggered it or or made it flare up a little bit more so I'm always a bit wary now if I've got to do some kind of something physical if I'm lifting something or moving heavy stuff around um I I don't know that that's not really what is triggering but it always just feels like you know you've got to be careful with your your insides basically and what you're doing trying to stretch things out and take it easy if needed and, and take rest if needed I mean essentially it's just taking care of yourself as you should anyway really and I think I'm just better at that now it's funny how you said it just came on you suddenly when you were just mm. mowing the lawn because I felt my mm. celiac, it came on suddenly. I woke up to go back to school, new new school term in the September, fine over the summer, going back to school in the September. And then that's when it just hit and it felt like it just came out of nowhere. You, you wonder whether your body, like it has been affecting your body for a while and it just builds up and then it just, bam, one day it hits you. I think that's exactly it. I think it's, I think I'd probably had it for years before it, it kind of showed itself really. And perhaps I'd seen, you know, not noticed it or I'd just thought it was other things. And then something I'd obviously, yeah, angered, angered it and made it kind of flare up to the point where it had to be investigated. And then, then this kind of journey started of, you know, scans, diets, GP visits and all sorts. I, I mean, in the end, I kind of gave up going to the GP with it. I mean, if I had a flare up now, there's no way I'd go to the GP other than to ask for some antibiotics. Um, But all they'd need to do is look at my record and and see that, you know, that has been suggested Um, because I, I kind of, in the end felt like I knew more about this whole situation and what was right for me and what I required than some of the GPs did because, which is fair enough because they are general practitioners, but you know, I'd seen so many specialists and looked up so much information and kind of knew what I needed. So I basically used to go in and say, I need this kind of antibiotic because this is a flare up of this. Um, And if they told me it wasn't, I used to get a little bit angry about it because I'd be like, well, I know that that's what it is. And if I leave here without these tablets and it gets worse, then, you know, obviously it could be quite dangerous. Um, So, yeah, I kind of just used to, you know, I have have been managing it myself in that regard, almost not bothering the GP with it because I know I know what I've got. I know what it is. It's having enough, you know, scans and cameras inside me and stuff to know that, you know, 
uh, I don't need the opinion of somebody who's only just met me and they just spent a couple of minutes reading my record or some, in some instances, not reading my record at all. And actually had one GP at one point just say, you know, I I said, I've got to be quite careful with this, that, and the other, because I've got diverticulitis. And they were like, I I doubt that, you know, they just just almost did not believe me. I flat out didn't believe me. I'm like, well, you've got my record in front of you, surely, you know, uh, and so, I mean, I just left that GP in the end and put a complaint in because I was like, well, that if that's the sort of attitude I'm going to get, that's insane. Yeah. I think they just, I think because I'd got it unusually early in my life, he just sort of looked at my, you know, date of birth probably and just thought, oh, well, that's not what it is. They'd not got all of your medical records, which isn't good as a GP either. Um, well, that that definitely did happen because no. um, one of the... Uh, the uh, people that I saw, one of the consultants that I saw at Nottingham City Hospital, and it's not their fault at all. I don't, think, I don't know whose fault it is, really, but it took them ages to get the documents that they required, like my actual um, medical records, because the last medical record they had at Nottingham was from when I went into hospital in 2007. And obviously, I'd had all that stuff happen in London in 2013, but they had no record of that. So you're like, well, surely this goes into some central system somewhere. But yeah, it took ages. And I remember I got a letter, in fact, I put it in front of me. And, and it started with, I finally got hold of your relevant me- medical records uh, oh, from no. your contacts and contacts with our colleagues in London. But it took them weeks, you know, six weeks or something to dig these records out and get them posted up to Nottingham. And you, you would think they'd all be in one place or you'd hope that. So perhaps these GPs didn't have that information in front of them and it, and it was down to me to tell them. But if they're going to if their reaction is to not believe you then where do you go from there you know I was going to ask you um if you've ever felt judged for your condition or whether you haven't been taken seriously but that answers it yeah I mean friends and family have all been brilliant with it and and, and even now people who don't realize that for a few years now I've been eating kind of whatever I want in a way you know still like I say carefully managed but I'll go to things that people where people know me as someone who had to be gluten-free and they'll bring gluten-free cake or whatever oh damn that you you can have that one because that's gluten-free and i'll be and i kind of just mm-hmm. you know i just kind of smile and nod along go, oh great you know that's the only real not particularly embarrassing but just you know a bit awkward when you say oh i'm actually i can eat whatever i want now <laughs> but <laughs> but but i mean how and then the, but then you've got to get into like well how come how come you can eat whatever you want now i thought you were on i thought you had to be gluten-free and then you have to go through like a, a mini version of what we've just gone through where I'm like, well, you know, dietitian said it's fine and, uh, and yeah, I'm all right now. But and so it just makes you wonder what it, what was happening back then when they put me on that FODMAP diet. And, and, and then, you know, I had that, the laparoscopy and all the adhesions and everything. Was it that that sorted my problems out? And that's why I've not been getting so many flare ups or, or was it the diet? I mean, and obviously they, they tell you when you go on this FODMAP diet, they say, if ever you do get a major flare up or you're getting lots of flare ups, um, feel free to go back onto this diet at any point and give it a couple of weeks of being on that diet. And, you know, you've kind of eliminated all the things that would in theory trigger, uh, you know, issues um, and then start reintroducing stuff again. And, you know, so you're kind of almost giving your gut a bit of a, a break we all need to reboot sometime and I suppose you, your gut's always working. So absolutely needs a bit of a break. When people say a gut reaction, I do feel like 
my gut is quite a good judge of uh, a situation. <laughs> I, can, I always, I always, uh, I've always felt that, and and even more so since I've had to pay more attention to what it's actually doing. So I like to round off these podcasts on positive notes, and mm. I always like to hear your advice on what others can do if they are in the same boat as you. So mm. what would what would your advice be for anybody who is new to colitis or if they have, did you say diverticulosis and then it turns into diverticulitis? Yeah, so either yeah. I've, I've seen it both ways. You have, you have diverticuli, right. which, are, and, and if you have problems with them, it's diverticulosis. If it flares up and you're in pain, and you're taking antibiotics for it, it is diverticulitis. Right. So yeah, you've got three different versions, I think. Uh, but yeah, if someone if someone has just been diagnosed with that, then I would say just don't don't worry too much about it. It's it's been it's been fine for me. I know the in extreme circumstances you might need some surgery, but again, that's manageable. And I know I know people that have had that and 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 been fine. Um, if you can get to see a a, a dietitian you know, referred to a dietitian that, that really helped me and very understanding and very clearly explained to me by a dietitian at, at Nottingham City particular, uh, particularly, they were, they were very helpful. Uh, colitis and IBS side of things, I would say, I've always been told by, you know, a number of different uh, consultants is that you may be in pain and it may be really uncomfortable and it's quite worrying when it happens. It does feel like you're going to be, you know, shipped off to A&E and have some kind of horrendous surgery but you've got to remember that it is just basically I always think of it as like a rash on the inside that you can't see and it's because you can't see it that it's worrying but you just give it two or three days almost all of this dies away I mean it's just literally is just a flare-up of whatever else you might you know see people have on the outside it's basically an allergic reaction so there are always going to be drugs and 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 management techniques, I think, to get through it. So, yeah, I would just say to not, I mean, I'm one, I'm one to talk because I'm quite a nervous person, but I would say try, just try not to worry too much about it and um, speak to your GP if you've got a good one. If not, get yourself referred uh, to someone who knows what they're talking about. Definitely someone who specializes in digestive diseases and, uh, and nutrition and dietetics and things like that. Yeah, you um, you seem like you had to push for it as well. I think if you go to the GP enough with the same issue, they've got to start paying attention, yeah. and, and especially if you are in agony with it, which I was, and it was just getting me down. I couldn't really function properly. So yeah, I, I would, I would, you know, certainly push, push to to see uh, to see a specialist if uh, if you are struggling with with any of that. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope there was something in there that you've been able to take away from this, or at least you've become a bit more aware about the condition. You can keep up to date with what's coming up on the pod on Instagram at The Gutted Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll speak to you soon.